Hey everybody, here we are in the historic Robert Mills neighborhood as um, no fire trucks have come by yet, so uh, you can't guess what street we're on without hearing that. But I'm here today, um, have some great guests on the show today. We have Historic Columbia with us. Uh, we have Miss Robin Waits with us. Uh, do y'all know Robin? Does everybody know Robin? Tell us a little bit about Robin. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, tell, let's talk about Robin. Um, and and we have, you're the chair of the board currently, right, Kim? Yes, that's correct. Kim also, she wears multiple hats, y'all. Multiple hats in our community. Um, I'm surprised she doesn't have her CA. A-E hat on today. Oh, there. She's got the water bottle. It's, it's behind the six glasses of wine she just had. So, y'all, it's okay. But we're here today. And in part, we have people come to the podcast because we just we, we want people to, to learn more about our community. And to be honest, it's a learning curve for me. This will be about 70% y'all talking and about 30% me talking. Um, but, you know, I, I think maybe it'd be great... Robin or Kim, uh, maybe we'll start with Robin and then roll to Kim. Tell us a little bit about Historic Columbia. You know, it's not just about preservation. It's about a whole lot of things. Can you maybe just dive in and give sure. us your 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 thought on Yeah, on... yeah. and it's great that we're in the um, Robert Mills Historic District because that's where all the properties that we manage are, are located, right around the corner here. I did that for Elizabeth Marks, by the that, way. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for Elizabeth Marks. Um, yeah, so Historic Columbia was founded in about 60 years ago, so we are celebrating a big anniversary year this year. Founded um, for the preservation of the building that's right behind us, the Robert Mills House. It was under threat of demolition in 1959. And a group of folks came together and lobbied for the, for the preservation of, of that building, and they wanted to use it as an example for preservation um, throughout the community, but also as an educational space. So... Um, one of the things that I love about Historic Columbia is that it actually is still those sort of foundational pieces that were established in 1961 are still the basis for everything that we do today. It's all about preservation. It's all about education. Um, so we can always go back to those sort of pillars of the organization, if you will. So, you know, for the first kind of um, 40 years of the organization, I'll say we were really focused on house museums and we managed six historic sites all in this district. Um, but in 2006, we had a big shift, and that was really thanks in large part to some leadership that we had at the time. Uh, Belinda Gurgle was on our board, and um, Steve Morrison. And they saw... You know, uh, we called Belinda the Honey Badger, right? I did not know that, but it's totally <laughs> that, that appropriate. That was her nickname. <laughs> yep. So Belinda was on council with Daniel for, for some time. Um, she goes after it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they came to the table and just said, house museums are great, and we've got a lot of really wonderful collections, but there's so much more that we can do in the community that um, can, can highlight um, different communities, different aspects of, the, of our neighborhoods and our, um, and our county. Um, and let's do that in a number of ways. So the first was, like, let's move just outside of the walls of the house museums so that we're developing the historic landscapes around these properties. And then from there, let's move outside of the, just the walls of the properties into the neighborhoods. So we started in 2008 with a project called Connecting Communities Through History and went into, we went into six different neighborhoods. They're actually, we selected neighborhoods according to uh, city council districts so that we could cover all of the districts. Um, so that means district three was first. <laughs> I know how this works. So we were in Heathwood. Uh, we were in Cottontown. Uh, we were in Waverly. Um, Old Shandon, 
and started to go into those neighborhoods and, and sort of change the way that we approached history, right? Like instead of coming in and telling you what your history is, we asked you what your story was and then began to build these sort of platforms of, of access that, that people could um, actually find stories that came from a variety of voices and not just a kind of traditional historic Columbia voice. Which is kind of funny because, you know, what we're trying to do right now is tell our story. Yeah. And one of the things I keep telling everybody, we don't tell our story in Columbia. So people don't know about it. They don't know about our community. They yeah. don't know what we have to offer. So as we continue to move forward, and if it's in economic development or or what it is, is telling the story. And there are a lot of stories, a lot of history. Yeah. Uh, and they they come at a crossroads, and it's interesting when you can put it all together. Right, right. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the cool things that we've been able to do, just we started kind of looking at neighborhoods from a geographic perspective, but then began to see all of the different layers of, of history that could be um, kind of connect to different thematic areas. So we shifted from geographic to looking at African-American sites, and we have a, uh, an initiative that looks at the Jewish community. We, we just in October of last year launched our LGBTQ history initiative. Um, so, and then those kind of overlay, right? Like if we're doing a tour of Main Street, we can talk about all of those different communities as we're walking down Main Street, and we can look at architecture, we can talk about the, the Jewish um, community that had businesses on Main Street. Um, and so there, there are lots of ways that those stories begin to overlap and weave a much more kind of comprehensive and inclusive story of, of Columbia. Um, and then the other big piece of kind of what we started to do after that 2006 strategic plan uh, was to look at being a more active, um, actively engaged in preservation advocacy. So beyond the buildings that we manage directly, um, because there started to be some movement around demolition of, of buildings, uh, a big one on Main Street, um, there was some movement for demolition of a, a building in the University Hill neighborhood. Uh, so the Brennan building, you know, I heard you, you talked with Kristen, Christian yeah, yeah. recently. So um, where Bourbon is now, that was yep. kind of our first big preservation advocacy um, effort. Um, so, so we just found that there was kind of a gap in helping people connect the story of place to the value of, of place. And, and once you understand kind of a history of a, of a building and the people who are connected with that site, people begin to kind of latch on to that a little bit more. I think the other piece that you, you've forgotten to add in there is y'all became much more active in creating events and experiences, which to me is what draws people together because that's yeah. what connects it. It, it, has a, it has a different view. Advocacy is a big part, and I know that's what you're founded on but to me the entertainment piece yeah. and the events that tie it all together is what draws people in to want to know more yeah, yeah. in my opinion yeah. from what i get feedback from people and and they've seen that and we had miss boyd here a couple couple <laughs> episodes ago and you know she's hilarious but that gift huge it just it it changed everything to me about mm -hmm. the mansion yeah. Yeah, and people wanting going there. Mm -hmm. And it, it's funny, pe more people comment about it than anything else. And it, it's amazing yeah. to me. So this is the new greenhouse that the yeah. Boyd Foundation um, sponsored, paid for. It's $2.5 million investment at the Hampton-Preston site. Uh, and it, it'll be for us a, a working greenhouse, so it'll enable us to grow plants that we can use in our garden. So it's an economic tool for us. We can sell plants that are heritage plants. But it's also this really cool, beautiful new construction in this historic district, which never happens, right? Um, 
But I think why I'm attracted to it, to be honest with you, is because spending so much time overseas with my family, you know, their their houses, glass houses next to a 1,300-year-old yeah. stone house, and it works. Yeah. And that's what I see here. Yeah. It works. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One thing that we saw, too, like um, just during the construction of the Boyd Horticultural Center, it was really awesome from like hearing from the board members or staff, people asking like, what's going on over there? Like we keep seeing these different pieces add to this amazing structure and people who have never engaged with Historic Columbia at all or even step foot at Hampton Preston, they were like eager to get in there and get their hands like on that space and to explore it. And that's exactly kind of some of the things that Historic Columbia does. They draw people in and they they um, really do a great job of opening up things. So it's an opportunity to explore gardens and grounds and in a very like unpretentious and very inclusive way. And I think that's, that's awesome. One of my favorite things during, um, I guess the height of the pandemic, um, Historic Columbia did a strong pivot and included some outdoor concerts in partnership with the South Carolina Philharmonic. And it was awesome. I mean, you were just so excited to be in your square and see <laughs> your friends in their square and you were outside, but you were in this beautiful setting that really kind of allowed you to take a break from what was happening in the world in this beautiful landscape. So much so, I love Hampton Preston so much. But I got married there. <laughs> it was the backdrop of my wedding last year and it was it was really perfect. So... Thanks, Robin. Yeah, we did it for you. It was all for your wedding. You should have waited a year. You could have had the garden, the new greenhouse as well. Maybe the one-year anniversary. There you go. Just just relive it. Yes. Just relive it. Well, Robin, you're not a newcomer to Columbia. I'm not. You know, so I think for some people, I don't think people realize your family's history and, and and the influences, because it, there's influences that come from your family members, that, especially artistic. And and why don't you tell everybody a little bit about, because I'm not sure everybody puts these connections together. Sure. Um, yeah, so my mother's um, father came to Columbia in 1948. He was an artist who was living in New York at the time and was shifting from being a, a working artist to a, a teacher. And he, he came to Columbia to teach art at USC. He was the first dean of the art program at the university. And he, um, he loved to paint uh, city scenes. And actually some of the work that he did when he first came to Columbia was of the Ward 1 neighborhood. Um, so he, he often would go into some of the communities, uh, communities of color and, and bring this kind of really interesting perspective that was kind of, it was an Ashcan school. I don't know if it's uh, um, really looking at a city um, and, and showing it, uh, and it's both positive and, and what can be perceived as a, as a negative light, but bringing this kind of humanity to, to communities that, that hadn't necessarily had that before. So anyway, he, um, he long time, long time artist, um, helped to start the Columbia Museum of Art, the Art, the art um, Artist Guild in South Carolina. Um, and his wife was also an artist. So one of the funny things when I go into people's houses now, her her maiden name was Candy. She was Dorothy Candy. Yajin was my grandfather's last name. And my mother's name is Candy. So my grandmother signed her portraits as Candy. So everybody thinks that it was my mom who did these portraits. FYI, I have a print from her grandmother hanging in my office. 
Yes. Yeah, so she was a watercolor artist and a um, and a portrait artist. But so many people in Columbia have their families' um, images on their walls that that, that my my grandmother did. Um, and and they were very active in in community. My grandmother was the head of the League of Women Voters. She was she was president when they actually integrated the league. Um, and the the first meeting that had black women was at my grandparents' house over on College Street. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was she was kind of the vocal force in the family. My grandfather was sort of the quiet artist type. Um, and so does anybody see some some where this is coming from? You know. I think we know who was her strong influence. I'm a blend. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so my um, my mom, who spent most of her life here as well, except when she went away to, to college, um, ran for county council in, in the late 1970s, was one of the first women elected to, to county council at the time. Served two ter- terms on county council and then um, ran for the house and served three terms in the in the house. Was very involved. I was telling somebody yesterday in her big the thing that she championed as a representative was the ethics legislation, and so got that through. It was a it was a huge fight, and um, ultimately got pushed out. They redrew the districts around her because the people were so pissed off with all this new <laughs> ethics legislation that they were like, no, she cannot be a part of this this club anymore. Um, so I, you know, I come from a family of, of activists from my mom's side, but also an artistic bent. And then my dad's side of the family is here as well. My dad was very involved. He was one of the founders of the Cultural Council um, Workshop Theater. Um, so that sort of side of things is is my dad's bailiwick. And um, yeah, I started, I, I went to off to college in Vermont, said I was never coming back to South Carolina, but was back a couple of years later to go to graduate school. Started at the State Museum as an art curator and then came over to, to HC. And one of the one of the coolest connections that I think has been made in my tenure at Historic Columbia is I'm working with the Ward 1 neighborhood. So I know you know the Ward 1 neighborhood. It is the, the neighborhood that was kind of erased in the 1950s and 60s that Dr. Donaldson talks about um, significance and incredible research on. But it's the area kind of, if you're on Assembly Street, um, moving towards the river where the Coliseum is and a lot of new development right now that was once a thriving black community, uh, churches and schools and residences. Um, and and my grandfather, as I mentioned, painted a lot of those those scenes. Well, the whole area is demolished now, and we were working with Dr. Donaldson with some of the resident former residents of that neighborhood and a book of my grandfather's art and recognize that some of the churches that they were talking about that they had photographs of had actually been documented by him. And so I took this book downstairs to this meeting of this new group of, of former residents who I hadn't had a lot of connection with and showed them. And they were just like, it was this immediate like connection because here my grandfather had been in their community when they were young or when their parents were there and had captured these images that they hadn't seen before of buildings that were no longer there. So it was this really sort of moment of synchronicity that I thought, yeah, I guess this is where I'm supposed to be. So it sounds like what you need to do is make prints and create a Ward 1 book. Yeah, it's a great idea. I think it'd be incredible to have that. Um, for one, your grandfather's art is incredible and well-known. I mean, it's, 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 I call it very Columbia because it is. It's, it's, it's something that's something we're proud of and, and get to see. But I think it'd be very interesting to do that. Yeah. 
you know, because as we start to capture and you go back and look, I learn. I feel like I learn something every day in Columbia. Um, and 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 it's interesting how it, it cross sections and how things piece together and what triggers a memory or a thought or a process. But also learning something and then seeing somebody exciting when you bring something up that they didn't think you knew about, you know, right, and they're right. just like, oh, how did you know that? Right. Well, I learned it from such and such. Well, let me tell you about this. It's like the story keeps yeah. going. Uh, there's no fork in the road, as I say. Um, uh, I think it. I think it's great. Kim. Yes. <laughs> let me tell you a little about how I got involved. Is that where you were going with this? <laughs> well, I know you didn't parachute into that <laughs> historic. Columbia, yes, but I mean, you're working in one completely, totally different yeah. world, but drawing your passion yeah. into, um, I see it every t every event I've been to with y'all. I mean, she's smiling and she's not sure if she wants to do what I'm going to say. So she gets <laughs> nervous. So it's funny. Um, yeah. Um, so I really got involved. So I a little bit about my career background is kind of what leads into my involvement with Historic Columbia. But um, in grad school, I started working at a PR firm, this little tiny PR firm <laughs> called Chernoff Newman. They're amazing. They're not tiny at all. They're, they're some of the best people. And I really learned so much from them. Um, and I stayed there for about three and a half years. And after that, um, a position came open at Experience Columbia SC in the tourism and travel and tourism space. And I had never done anything in travel and tourism and didn't know kind of anything about it. And um, one of the people who worked there was like, I really think that you would, you'd like it. So anyway, I got, I got the job um, and I was super excited to be able to, at the end of the day, they were like, what we do is tout Columbia. We talk about how awesome this entire region is. That's your job. Go do that. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I can just talk about anything? Like that is awesome. <laughs> and so um, I was in charge of um, domestic media relations. So working with travel writers from um, local, state, in the Southeast um, and across the nation to get them to come to Columbia, experience this region, and then write about it and talk about it and tell how awesome we are. And so there were always um, a number of writers who were really interested in the history of this region and city. More than they, they know, okay, Sherman came here. He right. right. There's a lot more right. to our community than Exactly, that. exactly. And so um, I got connected immediately. I was like, well, let me put Historic Columbia on the list for these tours. And so I started going on these tours. And I'll be honest, at the beginning of this, I'm such a type A. I told you that earlier of like, okay, we're at this destination. I've got 45 minutes before I got to take these folks to the next destination. I'm calling ahead, making sure we have lunch reservations. Like it was like I was there, but busy working on the side. Well, I started going so regularly and I also got some help on the team. <laughs> so I was able to kind of start listening to the tour and listening to kind of what John and Robin and some of the team were actually talking about. And there's one site in particular, while I love them all, there's one in particular, the Man Simon site. We would go there and I kept wanting to make sure that these writers kept going back there because I also was like, 
I am fascinated by the stories that are right here in this community. And that one in particular really focuses on um, an African-American woman who was an entrepreneur, was a caretaker, was so many things to so many people in such a time that that was pretty much unheard of. It was really challenging to be um, an African-American in this community. And she was actually really looked at and well-respected. She was a midwife, I believe, as well. And so she cared for so many people. um, And in a time, again, that, that was not a common thing. I just loved the fact that she was determined and she was so um, like set in her own person of who she was, that she was like, I am confident in who I am. I'm confident in my family and I'm confident in the fact that I know my ability and my worth here. And I'm going to make sure this community knows that. There's so many things about uh, Celia Mann's story that just really resonate with me. I was like, gosh, that is amazing. So anyway, I um, got involved with the marketing committee um, on a very kind of just like volunteer basis. And um, Robin kept saying, can you also help with this? Can you also come do this? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'd love to, you know. Um, And then slowly but surely, as time went on, um, I just got more and more involved with Historic Columbia on kind of every front. And um, I was asked to be a city appointee for the board. And that was just really exciting. And now, gosh, six years later, I believe, um, I'm, I'm so proud to be the first African-American president that the board has had. And, um, I wear that with a badge of honor because of the work I know that that community has done and that, or that, that team has done. Um, I, I love when people in the community ask me if I work for Historic Columbia, I'm like, no, but I love them. I moonlight with them, but I, um, yeah, I work full time at the airport. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, Historic Columbia has just, um, it's been an open door and it's allowed so many things for me personally that I wouldn't have had otherwise. I'll tell you really quickly, one big project um, when I was at Experience Columbia, um, I worked really closely with Robin. I think I called, we talked like every single day on this project with Dr. Donaldson and um, Sam Johnson at the time was here working on it, but it was the Columbia SC 63 project. And we were really tasked with highlighting um, different points throughout the entire region and community that focused on the African-American experience. And it really focused on defining moments that happened. And that project was um, a little over a year, maybe even a year and a half in the making that really like opened my eyes to so much about the African-American experience in this community. And I still to this day love walking down Main Street and seeing the plaques that we wrote and worked on and really put so much time, energy, and effort into ensuring that these stories were not only told, but they were celebrated. So I encourage you, take a stroll down Main, look at them, see them. So It's funny. It's a great segue because one of the things that we're looking at is we transition uh, in the next year or so out of city hall and into another building is is having a display um and using that space either the first and second floor maybe both to tell those kind of stories and and have the 63 have a display that you could tie in but 
the Jewish community has reached out and they really want to be more engaged uh, in our community, but they want to tell, I'm like, well, let's tell your side of the story and what your involvement in Columbia was and, and finding more, I mean, finding more and more communities <clears throat> wanting to be more engaged. And I think we could use that space as a way to display that story where if somebody's doing a tour, hey, you got one more stop. You can stop at City Hall. There actually be parking there. You know, you could zip in and, and go see it. Robin, um, historically at, at, at Historic Columbia, you've had, you've had challenges. You've had fights. You've had wins. You've had losses. You've had great successes. Give us one of the examples of what you think is one of the best successes that you've had at, yeah. at Historic Columbia. Um, I, I think one of the things that I'm I'm most proud of is the uh, work that we did at the what is now known as the Museum of Reconstruction at the Woodrow Wilson Family Home. Um, so that was a, a shift that we made in 2014. Um, the house was was built by the Wilson family, or was paid for by the Wilson family. It was not physically built yeah. um, but um, we had a chance to really change that storyline from being a shrine to the 28th president to commemorating the period in which the house was built which was during the height of the reconstruction it was built in 1869 1870 um, and and knew that there was a, again there's a gap there right like this was a story in 2010 that people didn't know what reconstruction was uh, or they talked about it in a way that was just completely incorrect. <laughs> um, and, and we had teachers. People make up I history. know, right? Oh, no. <laughs> shocking, shocking. Um, I mean, there were teachers who came to us. We were asking what the gaps were there in terms of things that they needed help with. And they said, they said that time period is, is missing. Um, had a really interesting experience with a board member of ours. This was early in our kind of thinking about what would happen at that site. She's a black woman who grew up in Columbia. Uh, we had a program in 2006 around the burning of Columbia, uh, one of those anniversaries. And we had Bernie Powers, who's a scholar from Charleston, who has a book called Black Charlestonians. And he was talking about Reconstruction and the impact on, on uh, the black community during Reconstruction in Charleston specifically. And Gloria James came up to me after the program and was just like wide-eyed and said, why don't I know this story? And she was in her 60s at the time. Um, as a black woman, this is such an empowering story to know that that immediately after the Civil War, for those ten years, that we had a majority of black representatives on in in City Hall. Um, we were the only state that had a majority in the House of of black representatives. Um, the The community was was led because because black men had the right to vote during Reconstruction. That um, that there was this big upswell of of an opportunities for, for black men in particular. And it, and it changed the landscape of Columbia. It's when the public school system is established. Uh, it's when things like, um, I mean, all of the sort of services that we have that, that represent an entire community as opposed to just serving kind of a wealthy white male community, which is what was happening just up to the Civil War. Um, those are changes that occurred during Reconstruction. And, and it's, a, it's a really important story for Columbia and particularly for the black community. And it just wasn't out there. It wasn't, it wasn't accessible. And so we, we did a really hard shift there and said, we're, we're still going to talk about Wilson at this site because the reason that the building is here is because it's associated with him. 
But we're going to use this as an opportunity to tell the story of Columbia between 1866 and 1876. And we are, and we are very frank in the story um, about the, the rise of Reconstruction and the fall of Reconstruction. And, it, and there are lots of parallels, actually, with the fall of Reconstruction with the, um, with the election of, of Donald Trump, right? So there is the, the rise of, of Barack Obama and kind of the black community coming into power and then a very um, significant pendulum swing uh, following the, 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 the power of, of the black community with, with Obama. And that is the same thing that happened during Reconstruction. Um, at the end of Reconstruction, um, Wade Hampton III is elected governor, and there's this very swift backlash of removing um, any access to power of the African-American community during that time. And so... You know, there there's so many things that are relevant that are that are happening today that that were that are parallels to what was going on during that during that time period. And so I'm I'm really proud of kind of taking that. Um, we we have the only museum of reconstruction in the country. It's a story that's that's difficult to tell, and that a lot of people, at least at that time, um, weren't sure that we were telling it accurately. Um, because there's so much misinformation about the Reconstruction period, um, but but we took we took a leap, and and so many people still come into that house and don't know what Reconstruction was, don't know the, the positive impact of Reconstruction. You know, there are these sort of tropes about African Americans that they didn't have the capacity to lead mentally, um, that that they that they were the reason that the, the South sort of was drawn back into the sort of negative landscape post-Civil War, which is not the case at all. And there are really incredible strides that were made during that period that aren't, that aren't recognized. Um, the, the University of South Carolina was the only school that was integrated during Reconstruction in the, in the South. Um, so th those are the kind of stories that are, I think, important for people to know, um, but that were, were just were sort of brushed under the carpet. Well, I think, unfortunately, too much of our history, and I say ours, I've only been here since 19, my family's only been here since 1967, so I don't have a very long history in South Carolina, but I think a lot of it has been lost over time, and, and there are gaps. That's not the only gap. Yeah. There's lots yeah. of gaps. Yeah. If you go back, and <clears throat> I think it's it's unfortunate because there's so much that we don't know and and I, you're learning stuff all the time but we we didn't learn that in school or we didn't learn this because there's just so nobody took the time to put it back together right, right, right. you know you talked about what what do you see the biggest challenge um i mean there there there's this lots is of get good, I know, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I think this is good. Come on now. I mean, I think there's there's lots of conversations that are going on right now about removing the sort of education from the school system that actually addresses the diversity of our communities. And I think that's a really dangerous path to be going down. You know, we we tell stories at our sites that um, are inclusive, that that not only of the of the black community, of the queer community. Um, of of women's um, history that is, I think, with some of the movement that's happening to sort of uh, whitewash, if you will, uh, history, that those stories are are going to become marginalized again, or continue to be marginalized in ways that uh, deprive young people of really understanding the full landscape of 
of who we are as as Colombians and South Carolinians. I think sometimes, though, instead of people looking at it in all history across the board, everybody wants a certain group story to be told and only that group. And that's the problem at the point is, is you need to tell all the stories Absolutely. I, I totally and let agree. people understand the full landscape right. of where we are, why we are today and how we got yeah. here. Cause it, it goes back to telling the story. Everybody's got a story and it's tied to history mm-hmm. and, but you got to tell all the stories. Right. You can't just pick and choose. Right. And I think that's the problem is we, everybody wants to pick and choose their story mm-hmm. versus Let's let's tell. Yeah, all the and, and and in that situation, it's the people who are in power whose stories are actually preserved, right? So if if a you know during Reconstruction, as an example, you know a, a black person could could tell their story in a different way than maybe they could during Jim Crow, um, and so when those stories get silenced, there's there's not a recognition that they actually exist. Yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunately, I think as power shifts and leadership you know it's all this it doesn't matter it's just, it's a history repeating itself and you know we always forget that all right well yeah yeah you, okay your group was in and they're telling their story but when you didn't tell my story right. so I'm, i i do see that a challenge um challenges kim as a board chair mm-hmm. from how do you continue to bring people to to, to the table to stay invested because it's more than just preservation. It's more than, you know, now it's experiences. It's, it's other things, you know, keeping great patrons like the Boyd family engaged, um, is, you know, they're, they're growing their footprint here, which we're very thankful every day that they continue to want to invest in this community. And they seem very committed, uh, every time I've had a conversation with them, but, what do you see your challenges to, to, cause you got to keep up in the game to keep people's interest in. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, one thing that we talk about a lot at board meetings and just with other board members is membership. Um, we need financial support to keep going and to keep our lights on like anyone else. I think that, um, Historic Columbia has done a fantastic job of thinking outside of the box and getting really creative and not just being like, here's a tour walk this tour and then go home <laughs> or here's this pamphlet, read this and be gone, be done. But, um, for example, our palladium society, um, which is kind of geared toward a younger demographic, but anyone is welcome to come and be involved. They really have done some really creative things that kind of combat some of the challenges of exposing people to content that on the surface they might shudder at or they might think it's not going to be exciting or engaging um, but they really kind of peel that back and say actually no we're going to do a mid-century modern tour and on that tour you're exposed to so much history um, but you don't even know it because you're just enjoying looking at all this architecture looking at all of these homes and these unique properties and the and the people who are in this community who are really investing in preserving what they have and what what is um, like mid-century modern, like I mentioned, like they're really working to ensure that this remains here. And so to have a tour that focuses on something like that, you're, you're able to engage with people in a different and unique way. And I think that's been um, one of the things that we've talked about a lot in trying to overcome um, any kind of membership issue or any kind of just like a slump it's like, how do we tell this story and how do we tell these stories and connect people to our gardens, connect people to 
things that we have going on in a new, fresh, unique way that um, we'll have them coming back time and time again. And also too, how do we partner with the community um, to also do that? So one low hanging fruit partnership that I'll talk about um, is the fact that uh, we really tap our board to say like, who are your circles and make sure to, you know, get them involved. Well, one of my circles is the airport, of course. <laughs> and so last year we did a couple of um, flight nights out at Hampton Preston and um, we had a kids movie night and we showed planes very good movie if you haven't <laughs> seen it I was actually really shocked I thought I was going to kind of go and kick it off and then leave and no I'd stay and watch the whole movie it was really cute it was so cute um, we also had an adult flight night and it, we played Top Gun um, and so it was really great to be able to have this juxtaposition of like being outside in this historic property and gardens but also having a, a little bit of opportunity for Columbia Metropolitan Airport and Historic Columbia two organizations that on the surface may not have too much parallel, but they do. We're, we're in the business. CAE is in the business of getting people here to this region. And Robin and her team at Historic Columbia are in the business of having awesome opportunities, tours, things for people to do, events and happenings when they're here. And so it was a great partnership, but another way to kind of think outside of the box um, when we when we are faced with some of those challenges. All right, I have to ask. Okay. You know, when I hear flights, I'm thinking wine, <laughs> bourbon, beer. I mean, that's a flight night to yes. me today. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, I thought it was a fun partnership for sure. And maybe we'll do it again and we'll have some, you know, for the adult side of things, we'll have some flight nights. One, so. one, of, the, one of the cool things, I think, now that the grounds are so incredible, um, you know, we had the Rosé Festival there yeah. uh, a few weeks ago. We have the Columbia Food and Wine Festival the, I there. I saw the aftermath. Yeah, of it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, the things that really are kind of the place to be in Columbia or the events to attend in Columbia, a lot of them are happening at our properties. And that's really, that's a great way just to kind of, I think to what you were saying earlier, do something that's really fun and different and gets people to the sites, but you know, not necessarily for the reason that they want to come and do a traditional tour of a house museum, but it's well, it equally makes people important. ask questions. Absolutely. You know, they ask questions. You know, uh, we were talking about Christian and being on the podcast, and, you know, they, they do those dinners out at City Roots, yeah. but to me, a, a dinner out here in the grass would want me to, I would want to come to that. Yeah. I went to the dinner on Lincoln, and, you know, a great experience, but I wish there was 500 people there, not 100 people, because... I think that's so cool, yeah. you know, um, I, you're hearing more uh, golf courses are hosting dinner on the greens <laughs> and stuff today, yeah. and, and they're selling out, they're having to do multiple nights, so when you see that, but when you're there, you start to see things from a different perspective, and so you start asking different questions, and to me, experiences are everything, yeah. and what? I think that's the transition that we make is, is every experience, positive experience we can create for people in Columbia, the more that we get to tell our story. Yeah. And what better way to learn a little <clears throat> bit about the history of this region than over breaking bread with somebody? And I think that's, I think that's great. I think you learn so much 
from having a meal with somebody, but having a meal with someone at, say, Hampton Preston or um, on the grounds of Siebel's house, you're inevitably going to be able to talk about where you are. And it's just, it's phenomenal. My grandmother used to say it all the time. My grandfather never did a major business transaction that they didn't do around the, the dining table. Because his belief was if you're around a table with food and things, people, they relax, they calm, they're, they're not worried about anything, and the conversation's free, nothing's... And so I think that creates that atmosphere, so people tend to start to learn, and they become more comfortable, because most people don't ask questions. But when you're around food and wine, something happens, you know? Maybe it's the wine. I don't know. It's, I don't it's the bourbon thing. It could, it could be. It could be. All right. Quick speed round. I'm going to ask y'all and rotate them back off. Favorite restaurant in Columbia, Kim? Oof. I'm, oh, that's hard. I'm going to have to say Tara because that was Chip and I's first date. Ah, it's an emotional appetite there. Yes, yeah. And they also, um, Chef Davis is a long time, I've worked with him for a long time, and he is pretty phenomenal. The way I've never had better fish dishes, the consistency is just unmatched. So I'll go with Tara. Robin? Uh, I'll go Geo's on Divine. That's good. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right. Favorite summertime vegetable? Squash. Yellow crookneck squash. <laughs> oh, okra. Ooh, fried. <laughs> Very specific, y'all. Fried. <laughs> All right. What about favorite ice cream flavor? Chocolate. Butter pecan. Mm. I got to go with sweet creams. Banana pudding. I have to throw oh, that in there. Sweet cream has some that. awesome flavors. Oh, I had a corn one time that was delicious. It's like a fresh summer corn or something. Had to be. It had to be Silver Queen. <laughs> had to be Silver Queen if it was that. We're we're in this great capital city. There's a there's stuff going on every day. Things are exciting, but if you could see an improvement that would enhance the people's perception of Columbia, what would it be? I'm going to start with you, Robin. Um, I think I would like for us to be a more walkable city. I would like for there to be some connectivity between Main Street and the Vista. I think that's a, um, you know, the Robert Mills Historic District is really close to Main Street, and Main Street is really close to the Vista, and yet... We're just four lanes of traffic we away. We feel like we are in these <laughs> islands, right? Bull Street is an island. Assembly Street is an island. Um, so, I mean, I would love to see us connect in ways that help people move more freely about the city. So as we work on doing the connectivity, finishing the greenways, one of the things that we really want to pull out is a ULI study and really yep. get it adopted, you know, get it finished because the connectivity, every investment group that I've had here to visit, that's one of the major things they talk about is road diets. You know, why is Marion Street four lanes? You know, why do you have so much space? And you look at the success of Main Street so we know it works. But it also got up in North Main is a prime example. You got Elmwood Park, Earlwood, that can't get connected to Cotton Town, that then Cotton Town can't connect to Bull Street because they're too divided. 
But then you go down Sumter Street and you go down to where Enda Coffee is and you've created a whole different vibe. Why? Mm -hmm. Because it's connected. The road diet has happened there. So I do think that it, that is a key. Um, Assembly Street, uh, I visited uh, with some mayors and we were talking about one of the projects they've done and I think it would work on Assembly Street because there's no way really to cross Assembly Street the right way. What they're doing now is they completely shut down the intersection for 45 seconds. And all all lanes of traffic uh, stop, but they light it up, they lit up with LED lighting, the crosswalks. And they also have a crosswalk diagonally. So you can cut across whatever, exactly. but all the traffic stops for that period of time so everybody who wants to cross crosses. And then traffic resumes. And I'm like... That is the simplest thing mm -hmm. in the world. Why aren't we doing it? So we're trying to look at that. How do we do that to connect that's that? Cool. Because that's one of the, that is a, one of the biggest complaints that I've heard from visitors that are leaving Soda City is they feel like they're playing Frogger yeah. to go to, mm -hmm. to the Vista, back to the where a lot of hotels are and people are going to the Colonial Center or wherever. So uh, it's interesting you brought that up. All right, you're on deck, okay. Miss Kim. I would say the thing that um, I'd like to see more in the Columbia community is city pride. I feel like I see it in some pockets of people. There's so many people who've been here for a while and have seen a lot of growth and change and they're big advocates. But I would love for the entire city to love this city as much as I do. Um, I feel like I'm one of the cheerleaders of Columbia. Um, I know I've had a unique per position of being able to be on the side of that's my whole job is touting Columbia. But this city is so rich and so um, filled with amazing people, culture, art, art, art on every corner, it seems like. And the food is amazing. And the history is so rich and rooted. And I, I just, um, it really pains me sometimes when I hear kind of the naysayers or, um, the quote unquote, there's nothing to do here. Oh, my favorite is we're two hours from the mountain and mm -hmm. two hours from the that, beach, which uh, is an asset. But it's not what you lead with. It's right, not our right, story. Right. It is that an is asset. Great. Exactly. Because it's great. The people who are in the mountains and on the coast have two hours to get here. You know, that's it. That's how I like to look at that. Not us leaving this region. Mm -hmm. I just think if you live here and this is where you call home, then have city pride in that. And so. And I think that goes back to part of the story. One, you know, when you talk about city pride is, is taking care of the neighborhoods. That means, you know, cleaning up. I mean, we, we, we've, with the pandemic, have seen more trash mm -hmm. in our gateways. Mm -hmm. And when that trash doesn't get picked up, the mowers come over and it turns five pieces into 50 and those 50 turn into 5,000 and it just is everywhere. And it's not a reflection of our community. I don't think people tell the story. They, they don't, they don't talk about all the great things about Columbia because I don't think we've ever had a central message. Mm -hmm. and the airport has a message. Lexington has a message. We have a different message. University of South Carolina has a different message. You know, why are, one of the things I'd love to see is that we take that and we create that pride campaign that we're all selling each other. It's like I sat down with the regional mayors and I'm like, look guys, we have to work together. Collaboration is the only way that we're gonna compete because if you look at Charleston or Greenville, the upstate, they all come together when they have a big need or they need something. 
and they and they come in there and they work together to make it happen. And that's what we got to do. But our messaging, somebody put up on a board, it was seven different messages going on in Columbia. And they were like, we've got to bring everybody together. We got to commit to a message and not the, the I'm not talking branding. I'm talking sure. about that telling that story. Mm-hmm. How do we tell that story so that we're uh, you're telling the same story to get people here? Because little known fact, people don't realize we have 15 million visitors a year yeah. that come to Columbia. Our problem is we only get 5 million of them to spend the night. But if we could tell our story and they knew that there's things that they can do that are worth staying over for, you know, that, that all these attractions, the history, the tours, oh, hey, by the way, you're in town. There's two extra seats left at the dinner at the at the greenhouse. Y'all need to go. You get to taste Columbia. I think that's where where we have such great opportunity to tell our story because, you know, Myrtle Beach only gets 22 million visitors. So, I mean, 15 million visitors is, is a lot. I, um, two weeks ago, um, hosted um, an airport roundtable as a conference here. By the way, for the record, I didn't get invited. I just want to put that on the record. <laughs> oh, no. I was there. <laughs> Scrap that from the record. <laughs> um, we hosted this airport roundtable. And it was a number of my peers, so air service development directors and marketers. And um, we had um, some like pre-conference activities. So one was a trip out to the zoo. The other one um, was a happy hour history tour led by John Shear down Main Street. And at the end of those, we were getting ready for kind of happy hour and into our first dinner. And one guy pulled me off to the side and he was like, he's from... Minnesota, I believe. And he said, um, I could, I could go home right now. He was like that tour down main street with John was phenomenal. He's like, this city is so cool. I I could, I could go home right now. And I was like, that's awesome. Don't go home. We have so much more in store. And then someone was saying later in the night, they were like, what's been your favorite? Like they were doing this around the table. What's been your favorite thing so far? And one girl was like, I cannot believe I got to pet a Galapagos tortoise today at the zoo. Like that just made my day. It was so awesome to be that close and up up and personal at the end of the tour or at the end of the conference. Um, they were just saying their niceties around the table and congratulating us on such a great job and, and just thanking us for everything. And one guy stood up and he said, he said, I'll, I'll be honest, I would take Columbia, South Carolina for a conference destination over Vegas any day. He was like the charm of this city, the hospitality, the quaintness of it, all of the kind of surprise and delight around every corner was so welcomed. And I loved it here. Every minute here I loved. And I was like, here's your $20. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, thank you so much. Like we were so excited to be able to, to do that. And that was not just the airport. It was so many people involved, but that is just a small example of when you love where you live, other people will feel that and see that. And, and I'm so proud of, of that proud of Columbia. So we always ask somebody this question and and it's really is if, if there's one business that Columbia doesn't have that you think should be here, what would be that? What's that business? I don't know if this qualifies as a business, 
But I would love to see, as you know, the Bethel on the corner of Taylor and Sumter Street oh, you see, turn you're, into you're a messing um, up my my vibe. Turn here. into a um, performing arts center like the Ryman. You know, we talked about it being a um, a music that was venue be my that everybody. Oh no, I'm sorry. But th- I love That's it. That's what I would love to see because it is. It is. I ride by there every morning, and I ride by that building, and I'm just like, this could be our Ryman. It could be our rhyming, and but the history that goes with it, how it's centrally located, yeah. how it could play into the tours that are going on, it, it is one thing that I would like to see in four years that we made progress, mm-hmm. that we get it done, and two years we're on it. I really, I really think this is, and it's something that I think. I hated that it's been 20 years that we've been talking about that because I literally, I can remember the first time the conversation came up and we're not going to get into the details about why it hasn't gotten where it is, but I'm excited about what it could be and the story it could tell. Well, we're making some really good progress right now. Well, we'll have to talk offline about some other things about that, but I really, that's what I want. Small performing arts center, city center. If you think about it, if we had 450 seats in there, uh, guest lecturers that we could put in there, but the musician and, and the performance, some of my favorite concerts that I've been to, and I, I, I go to a lot of music, but when you go to a, like the Newberry Opera House or to Sumter Opera House, and you're there with a small group listening to an incredible musician or artist, you feel like you're part of that show. <laughs> and when you leave there, there you have this energy. You, it's just, you're like, wow, this is incredible. That's what I think it is. Every time I go to the Ryman, there are 2,500 people at the Ryman. Doesn't feel like that. Though. Doesn't feel like yeah. it. Yeah. But the acoustics and the, there's just, there's, there's this spiritual vibe in there. Um, it is unbelievable. I've been in there for sound check before at the Ryman and we just walked around and I'm just kind of geeking out like this little mm-hmm. guy, but you just, you love the music. That's what that could be. Yeah. And the fact that it's so historical and the story and how, you know, all the people that were involved in, in that, oh, it's, that's going to be great. It's not a business, but I'll take it. All right. Thanks. Okay. Um, <clears throat> that's good. Let's see. It could be your favorite clothing store. It can be anything. I feel like, okay, I feel like that I would love to see more hidden bars in Columbia. Like, kind of knock three times and ask for penny kind of places. Um, Speak easy. I love the wig, but it's not hidden. You know, like you know where it is. You Um, know where it is, but (laughs) I bet you if we went down Main Street and asked how many people know where the wig is, they don't know they have great hamburgers. They don't know. That burger burger. Man, that pimento cheese. It's so good. Do you remember Sherlock's on Main Street? I don't remember Sherlock's. You're dating yourself wrong. (laughs) I just got back from New York City and um, we... A friend of mine had taken me here before, so we were surprising some of our group with us, and we were like, I think we want some um, some Five Guys fries. Like, let's go get some fries. And they were like, we're in New York. Why would we do that? I'm like, no, no. I think these would be really great fries. And so they were kind of like, this is not on the agenda. But we walked in past the counter 
into like kind of the back room and up these back steps. And it's a really awesome little cocktail bar. And so stuff like that, I think would be really cool here because we already are hip and fun um, and creative here. So we just got to find some unique spaces that we can do some kind of hidden bars, hidden bars of Columbia. My favorite hidden bar uh, in New York, it's not there anymore. Unfortunately, it was down in Soho and we were leaving um, Eaton down, down there. And we went and, you know, it's one o'clock in the morning because, of course, when you're in New York, you don't eat dinner till 10 o'clock. And <laughs> we're and we're going in and, and a bunch of the folks were with us like, where are you taking us? I said, don't worry about it. It's a great place. And you were going through these pathways. We literally, you go under two buildings to get to it, you know, and, and we're down in this bar and the bartender is wearing a South Carolina sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> we walked in that night. She had moved there and like six months ago. She was a graduate of the university. So of course it turned into a late night, but Love those that. are, but there's so many places that are set up like that at Columbia. I remember in, Oh God, what building was it? Um, it was the bit, what was the, the building that was where the Meridian building is today? The consolidated building was there. Yeah, and in that building, there was a speakeasy mm-hmm. behind the wall. See, so cool. I think no, literally, <laughs> when they were before they tore it, before it came down, we went and walked through the building, and there was a back door that went to another door. And then, sure enough, and it was back there, and there were little drawings on the walls and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was all from the, from huh. the 20s. Kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Cool. All right, put that down on the list. <laughs> Hidden bar for Kim. What do, what do you want to see? You know, I'd love for us to have some more some more restaurants. I just love walking around Columbia and I see people more more restaurants that have outdoor, yes. you know, on the sidewalk, because when you walk down Main Street now, it's alive from one end to the other. You can start down here at, at uh, Transmissions and walk all the way up, and, and, and there's there's people out there. I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see more of that on North Main. Mm-hmm. And, you know, greedily, I want hundreds of... Because when those pocket neighborhoods have those restaurants things people go to visit it draws people from other parts of our our community you know people from that would be on divine street would go there somebody in shannon would go there if we had four or five restaurants in a little block area like that that had the outdoor because you know people like choices i love going to see muhammad Mm -hmm. but you know that's one one piece but what if we had six of those there People would go, hey, let's go there. We may go have a drink there and go eat right, dinner right. there. And, you know, it's kind of... It would promote progressive dinners. And yes. Progressive kind of happy hours. But you would see so many... Um, and I think, too, to your point, like just diverse offerings of culinary experiences would be really awesome, too, to just amplify that here. I, and when, when you have that, I just think it just... It, it livens up every mm-hmm. neighborhood. I just... I don't know. I mean, it's about yeah. selfish. I, I, I'm food and drink driven on everything. <laughs> Good to you know. I am. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that would be fun. Well, it is beyond the witching hour, I think. Or, um, But I want to tell you all, thanks. Thanks for coming. It, this is great. 
um, you know, it was good to get a little little insight on what you think and what you wh- where your passion is, but also a little bit about some of your favorite things and your thoughts and where you wanted to go. And I think that's what people people just want to get to know each other. And, I, and part of this podcast is really for for other folks in Columbia to get to know each other and, and, and figure, you know, put names and faces together and yeah. and and have just have some fun. Well, thanks, thanks for, for doing it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks good luck to, Good luck tonight at um, County Council. Thanks. <laughs> should be a short meeting. We can only hope. I know. I hope so, but yeah. <laughs> thanks, everybody, for listening. We're signing out.